Hello and welcome to The Yellow Podcast. I'm Ash. And I'm Dee. We believe that Brent is a vibrant, culturally diverse community filled to the brim with stories and talent. The Yellow Podcast aims to shine and spotlight and give a voice to members of our community. On today's podcast, we have Nadia Khan. Hey, Nadia. Hey, Nadia. Hi, guys. It's so great to be here. I'm very excited. Nadia is an author, writer, historian and PR professional with almost 20 years experience in PR communications working across sectors including housing, youth, and local government. Nadia. Hey. <laughs> Hi, can you please tell her, Can you please tell us a little bit about your relationship with Wembley and the impact you have had on the community? So I suppose you could say I've lived here my whole life. Um, so I was born in Rawalpindi in Pakistan, but when I was two months old, I've been a Wembley Brent girl and... I've been to school here, secondary school. I've been to Sunday school here where I learned Arabic and Islamic studies. I've worked in Wembley and in Brent for many years. And I'm a community activist and champion at heart. So I've been involved in many projects since I was young. I was a youth worker. I volunteered at play schemes. I was a play leader. And this was all in Wembley and Brent. Um, working with young people from deprived backgrounds. And so I suppose I developed my love of community from a young age. And as I've got older, I've continued to do a lot more work with local people of all backgrounds, because as we know, Brent is one of the most diverse boroughs in London. We have people from all over the world. It's a beautiful melting pot. And I just love it because I think it brings such a beautiful richness and so much heritage from different places. You don't even need to travel mm. in Brent. And I think you grow as a person to meet different people and to learn from them because I think, you know, we live in a global world and it's important to know about each other and that builds community cohesion. So, yes, yeah, so from then I've, um, I've worked in housing, I've worked in youth services and local government, and I set up a youth editorial board about 10 years ago with young people from Wembley and Brent from housing estates, where I got them to write a magazine. At the time, we had written magazines more than online. So I would coach them and mentor them in how to write articles. Um, I took them to design um, hubs where they could actually design their own pages. And I did that for eight years. And these young people now are doing amazing things. And this just warms my heart. So some of them went on to become counsellors, local counsellors in Brent. Some went on to be teachers. And um, one of them's a bridge engineer. And they're doing amazing things. And they contact me from time to time to tell me how they're getting along. And I just feel like there's nothing more rewarding than that. I can feel your passion. I can feel how much you care about your journey and what it's meant. Um, so tell us one thing about your role that you love. So I, I do a lot of different things and I do, love, I do love my job. So my job is communications and PR and engagement. So I do a lot of engagement with communities around the issue of climate change. So one of my main roles is to work with seldom heard communities who are more 
likely to be impacted by climate change because they're living in more deprived areas. Um, they're more at risk from flooding and pollution and they have lack of green spaces. So I work with them to get them on board and have a voice in terms of climate action. And um, and that involves understanding communities at a granular level mm. because not one size fits all. And I don't believe that you should just put everybody in one group and think that you're going to solve all, the, all their issues and give them a voice. So, you know, I'll look at which communities are living in that area, what are the languages they speak, what is the right terminology and the right, the appropriate language to use to reach them. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I do that. I like doing that and working with them and seeing a change and seeing them feel like they've been heard. I also work closely with faith communities uh, around climate action as well and getting faith communities on board because actually the theme of climate and looking after the planet is a common thread mm. with all these faith groups. And um, they can they can connect on that issue. Um, it links them back to their values and it, it's more likely to affect a positive change in that way. So that's one thing. There's many things I can could tell you. I mean, the topics that you just touched on now, could you give us an example of faith and climate changes and how, how what does this, that journey look like? So... About a year ago, I launched uh, an exhibition called Faith, called Climate Change and My Religion. And I approached faith leaders in Brent from the main, you know, the main religious groups. So we had um, a rabbi, we had an imam, we had um, pa a pastor from the church, reverend, um, somebody from the Sikh community. And I asked them to give me... Uh, to give me a quote about why looking after the planet is important to their faith. And, and then we took um, some beautiful photography and we so we had this exhibition with a quote of what they said. So they either quoted their scripture and also they they gave a pledge of what they wanted to do to tackle climate change. And what you could see visually when this exhibition was out and you saw all these different faith leaders side by side that they were basically saying the same thing. Mm. That is, you know, we we are here to primarily look after this planet that we've been given. And it is a moral obligation mm. to take care of it. And this brought about a whole load of conversations and people connecting with each other and sharing resources and getting together to tackle this issue. And I thought that was really important and, and so powerful. Mm. The message I'm hearing from that is we are the planet. And if we look after the planet, we're looking after ourselves as well. Exactly. You know, we, we don't exist mm. if there's no earth. Mm. So it's so linked into our very being. I think what's also nice that you touched on is that ultimately the message is all the same. And that's really beautiful. Mm. It doesn't matter what background you're from. It doesn't matter what religion you're from. The, the ultimate message is the same. And I think that's really, really powerful. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I think we get bogged down a lot in, in semantics, basically. And when we go to our core, I mean, we're all human beings. This is really important to me. I, I feel that, you know... We are, we are all one and the same and we have different ways 
that we might live our lives. But in essence, you know, there's that unity at the center of it. And so as well as my work around climate change, I I also am passionate about bringing communities together from all backgrounds. And that means, you know, being inclusive Mm -hmm. in when we do things, which is why I really love the yellow, because all the events and the conversations that happen here, I feel really connected to it. And, And, you know, the community is represented, the community in Brent and Wembley is represented at the yellow more than anywhere else I know. So I really think that we need community cohesion is, you know, is one of those words. But in essence, we need to involve people in in the community. And that means understanding them at a basic level. And it's funny because I think we take that for granted sometimes. I think of my mum. My mum is 84. Birthday was yesterday. She walks up the road. She knows every family, all different cultures, all different backgrounds. They share cooking ideas, and that is community cohesion. And we call it community cohesion, but it's it's at the basic level where people are knowing each other and understanding each other. Now, if we go outside of Brent, does that happen? Um, it depends on where you are. I think um, I think London is is a really brilliant sort of melting pot, and when you look at it, look at it at surface value. Um, and when you're looking at, I don't know, television, and you think that lots of people are represented. Um, but it's not always the case on the ground, because sometimes visual representation is confused with actual representation. So I feel that more work needs to be done. And it's great to have more visual representation. And, you know, certainly if you see yourself in somewhere on TV or... Um, writing a book or doing something great, if you see somebody that looks like you, you feel like you can also do that. But it's I would say it's not always about looks because there's more to it than that. Mm. And that's very important for me in the work that I do. It's funny you talk about books. We all know you're an author. Um, one of the questions that we want to ask you is, what are three books that you recommend to our friends and why? Well, well, I'm a first-time author, and my book is called Dance Histories, A Journey Across the Muslim Silk Road, and it's due to come out and be published in the summer. So I personally love a range of books. So when I grew up, my mum would make me read English classical literature. So I would read Jane Austen and Charles Dickens and and books like that because she wanted my English to improve and my essay writing and and it's good to read because then your language improves. So I still to this day love a Jane Austen novel or um, a period drama. I, I have a weakness for those. Um, but more so as I've I've got older, I I really like books where I feel I can connect. So at the moment, I'm lucky enough to be reading a book called River Spirit by Leila Abu Leila, who was born in Cairo and then moved to Sudan at a young age and now lives in Aberdeen. So she writes in general about themes that really resonate with me, like identity, belonging, women and faith. 
And this book, um, I will be interviewing Leila at The Yellow. And this book is about the Mahdi's war in Sudan. And it's such an interesting topic that isn't really well known in the mainstream. So I'm learning so much about it. And I just love the way she tells stories, her characterization. And I just feel so engrossed in the book. So I really like books like that. Um, I'm also a big fan of books about history because um, I'm a historian and um, anything to do with history and um, history and culture and identity. I love all of that. Mm. I think it's really important when you talk about identity and belonging, how, and especially in Brent, where there are so many cultures and, and the diversity, when you're growing up, how important those words are. Because I felt I didn't have an identity. My Half my family are African, half my family are Indian, and I was born here. So I wasn't able to put my hat on any of those identities. Only later on, I discovered myself that actually I'm all of those and whatever I want to be. So I think it's well put and touched. Yeah, definitely. I mean, growing up, especially when you're when you're living like in the diaspora and you you just don't know where you fit in. So I I had a strong sort of Muslim identity. I grew up knowing that I was a Muslim. I went to Sunday school and learned Arabic and Islamic studies. Um, so I knew that, and that was sort of like my core. But then I'm going to school, and I'm, um, you know, working in mainstream environments. And then there's all this media, negative media about Muslims and um, terrorism. And um, all they seem to talk about was women um, in hijab or, you know, refugees. And, and then, you know, sometimes, especially after 9-11, you just wanted to keep your head down and you don't want to be identified as, as being a Muslim. And you would, you know, hear people talking about um, Islam in a really negative way, which is your reality. And I wasn't, I suppose, I didn't have the confidence to challenge people or to just assert my identity. So I would literally just keep my head down and I'd be living two different lives. Like Riz Ahmed says, it's um, code switching, basically. Mm -hmm. So you're one way at home and then you're one way um, at work and at school. And it was only, like I'd say, more recently in the last five years or so that I suppose with age, I'm, you know, growing in confidence. I, I'm I'm more comfortable with who I am and I'm more comfortable to come out and say, yeah, this is me and, you know, accept me for who I am and I'm not afraid and I think actually that has really had a positive response from um, people that I know because um, I think if if you're confident in who you are and you're not afraid to express it then people accept you so now I just get asked loads of questions about Muslims and Islam, and I'm like, okay, I'm not, I'm not a scholar. I know, you know, I'm well read. I'm not a scholar, but I do, I do my best to answer their questions. Well, Nadia, it was lovely to hear from you, um, and I've really enjoyed listening. You tell us your story. Um, you mentioned that you've lived your whole life in Wembley, and you're a true Brent girl. Um, how would you get other young people to engage with Brent at the moment? Well, yes, I'm a I'm a Brent girl, a Wembley girl, all of that. Um, it's it's really in in my heart. I lived in Brixton for about seven years, 
And although I liked it, I was always, this is my home. And I am very passionate, obviously, about getting more younger people involved and engaged. And I would say that first you have to listen to young people, you know, what what do they want rather than impose activities or events on them. Um, really like give them a safe space to to talk and you know young people are going through so many challenges at the moment and you know COVID exacerbated those and we know now that more young people are suffering from mental health issues and isolation and um, you know it's a tough world out there so I think it's really important for them to have a safe space to open up and and to talk about what's important to them, and then based on that, create projects that are mm-hmm. relevant. And again, what I tend to see, I've worked in you know youth services for a while, there's there's like a, a program of activities that are quite similar for young people. And I'm not saying they're not needed, but what I found when I was growing up and what I felt was lacking was... Um, an investment in cultural activities. Mm -hmm. And it's changed a lot, you know, more recently. And I remember when Wembley was a concrete jungle Mm -hmm. where there was no um, shops here. It was kind of like barren. So I love it now. I I love the way it is. And I love that there's things to do. Um, But I I felt growing up that there was a lack of cultural activities that that resonated with me. So what I would do would would go outside of the borough. And I've spoken to young people that I've worked with and they've said the same. Like They have so many skills that in my working life, I've come across young people who are so talented and they go outside of the borough to find activities because they're not here. So... I, I feel like working with you guys and the stuff that I'm doing with Anis Society, like we want to try and develop things here mm. because there is a need and what, we shouldn't lose our young people. Mm, we should change that narrative. Yes. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's about planting seeds and seeds for our, for our young people. And I totally agree with what you're saying, Nadia. I think where there's difficulty, there's no youth clubs. We, you know, there's no youth clubs at the moment. And we need to join the dots up so they feel valued. I feel some of the projects that you talk about are either sports orientated or, but we need things that we can give them doors that they can open and decide which door they want to go through. Exactly, 100%. And um, there's so much more that young people can offer. And by just giving them a narrow outlook, I don't think that's fair. The only thing I want to add is I think we need to give them autonomy. And like you said, it's listening to... I think the powerful word you use is listening to them as opposed to telling them. Big difference, you know. Yeah, exactly. Give them a voice. Yeah, exactly. So, Nadia, if I gave you a magic wand and you could bring one big change to Brent, what would that be? I would love to see more culturally authentic programmes and activities here on our doorstep. Um, because again, I sometimes feel that there's there's sort of like a standard pattern that we use um, when we're talking about culture and um, cultural programming. And Brent, obviously, we've had the new census results came out, and 
Brent has so much diversity. The community um, is changing and we need to adapt to that change. We need to listen to the people that are here and 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 organize programs that they will be interested in and that we can learn from as well. Because if we're all living in this borough together, then it's really important to understand um, our neighbours, basically, and um, and get involved in their culture. It only just makes us a richer community. Yeah, we totally agree. And I think that's one of the reasons why we introduced something like Supper Club, where people can sit around the table, eat food from a different culture and, and discuss, you know, have those conversations. Um, so I think it is really important that we understand our neighbours. Um, Nadia, I think... I would really like to know, um, and I'm sure Ash would like to know and our listeners, um, if you could go back and give your 18-year-old self one piece of advice, what would it be? I think it would have to be to accept myself for who I am and not try to appease others. I would like to have gone back and and had that confidence that I have now. And I realise that that comes from life, really, I suppose. Um, So there is no magic wand. And it's taken a lot of life experience to get to that confidence. Um, But I would have people, you know, when you're you're a bit lost and you're you're young and um, you'd have elders or, or people who you trust saying, you know, you just you just need to find out who you are. You know, just just dig deep and find out who you are. And I would think, what does that mean? <laughs> I really don't understand. And um, and then one day it just clicked. So I, I think it has taken life experience for me to get to where I am now. But if I had a magic wand, I would like to have that at 18. From what you're doing now, it feels like the projects that you're working on, the work that you're doing... It is Nadia's heart and soul going into that. So it yeah. sounds beautiful. It, it really is. And I, I think it's all all the things that I've done have led me to where I am today. This has not come from, you know, nowhere. I've, you know, I've worked with young people. I've worked in the grassroots, you know, and I love being at the grassroots. I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, and all the projects, all the events... Everything has led to what I am doing today and where I am today. Wow, that's amazing. And um, thank you, Nadia, for sharing your story with us and joining the Yellow Podcast today. It's been a true pleasure uh, to listen to you. Yes, Nadia, thank you for coming to the Yellow. Absolute pleasure and honour. If, if you'd like to follow Nadia, she's at, at Nadia.Khan30 on Instagram. Brilliant. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed being on my first podcast with both of you today. Well, it's like having a friend. So thank you for coming. Yep. Thank you.